nervous? <laughs> no. Where's your answer? Dennis Beckham, let the ball out! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Oh! oh, no! Oh, yes! He missed it! Welcome to the Suffering from Joy podcast. My name is Devin. I'm joined here today by Charles Peacock of the False Nine Texas and Seth, who uh, knows everything. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, it's not better. Jeff. Yeah, that's about where I'm at. Um, so, 1 1 draw against Colorado definitely feels like a loss for me. How about the two of you? Yep. I mean, we get a point. Yay, points matter. If we are out of position where we really need an extra point for the playoffs at the end of the season, which we might, like every point matters. But, ooh, that um, we got our asses kicked last night and we're very lucky to get a point. I I agree with that. It also feels like two points dropped because, because we did have the lead and we did give it up. And so at some point, like, that's not based on team strength, but game situation that it does feel like a loss and that it wasn't full points when it easily could have been. Yeah, that's a good take, I think. Uh, so where do we want to start? Let's talk about the lineup. So obviously, uh, Leo and Teen Wolf, who actually scored a lovely backheel goal uh, right before our game, out on international duty. Um, I don't think I was surprised. I know, Charles, you and Brad jumped down my throat for saying uh, Lima last week might come in to center back. Um. I don't know if I, fortunately or unfortunately, I was right. I kind of had a mixed take on on his performance, but um, I guess the other surprise is uh, Finley on the wrong side starting. Yeah, so one, I disagreed that Lima was a center back. I, 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 or at the very least, he was kind of like an outside center back because we, we did play some kind of weird three-man back line formation. Tilted across um, the X and Y axis. Yes, you know, exactly. And so, type of thing. Yeah. Okay. And so in a situation <laughs> like that, I think playing Lima makes a little bit more sense because he does have the passing range and speed to to, to cover that. Um, I think the bigger surprise was seeing Valencia and, and Danny again when, if you look at the Austin midfield depth chart, you know, if, if Owen's a starter at the eight and Ring, I guess, is his backup and the third stringer is Jafal, well, if Ring's playing center half and Owen's out, then you'd think that Jafal would play and Danny would play as the six. And then if we needed a defensive boost, we could put Valencia in later. And instead, we played a weird double pivot where neither of them were allowed to go forward and really were just designed to like shield the back line um, and just kind of left us with a very strange like five in attack, five in defense, nobody to link up play situation, um, which really was prevalent in, in watching and watching the match and seeing the highlight highlight i like uh, unfortunately <laughs> like that term there but it is yeah no it disjointed is something that it was the theme of that match that it was we were very lucky to get that first goal and we did nothing to build off of the momentum of this because it was we were trying to park the bus with five guys and none of whom are tall center backs like it, it was just an odd odd formation and yeah, I think that we could have been far more creative, and hopefully this is the last that we see of Valencia starting a match at anything besides the six. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't even like they were playing a split double pivot or anything. It was like kind of just standing on top of each other. And Yeah, because uh, there yeah. were multiple times where like it would have made logical sense for Pereira to press up, especially defensively. Um, to like apply press to apply pressure in a situation, and instead he was just in straight running back to the goal mode. Yeah, there was a lot of like pick up in the park, random loose ball, kind of um, right around the entry to our final third, all game. And you could tell obviously by you know for a number of factors, Danny getting frustrated at the end, picking up kind of a cheap dumb yellow, which most of the time I, a player doing that, I'd say okay, you know, fine. Like I like your passion, I like you showing some energy, but Danny's probably the last person we need doing that. Agreed. Uh, given the yellow card accumulation rules. But what do we think of uh, Finley pre-game? Like, we'll get into how he did in the game, but um, what was your reaction to seeing him on the team sheet out left? 
Um, it, it's, I mean, I think it's less of a statement about Finley and more of a statement about Diego Fernandez. It was interesting that, um, Wolf in the post-game press conference mentioned that Diego's the, now the fourth highest played player on the roster, which is one of those things that like logically we probably knew, but it never actually been stated before. But to see someone come in and get a, who's been a linchpin of this team for the last two years, um, just not be himself after signing a nice fat contract. Has like I I understand why Wolf did it. And Diego did nothing in his substitute appearance to prove us to prove anything otherwise. Like you have to start maybe maybe two weeks off will be really good for Diego's head and seeing where things come together there. But Fidley is gonna give you a solid performance, solid effort, and Fidley's solid effort is more than Diego's given us right now. Uh, solid effort for sure. I'm not sure about solid performance, but uh, he definitely is not a guy I'm worried about not running too much. But, yeah, I, mean, I mean, we know yeah, Diego... Was, was he what was needed for yesterday's match? Probably not, but he was the best available roster option, in my view. I mean, is that fair to Diego calling him out after the game saying, oh, he's the fourth highest player when Wolf keeps showing eternal patience with what I'm assuming is our second highest player? Um, and I mean, Rigoni has been marginally better than Diego this year, but you know, that, that kind of rankles me a little bit as giving a little bit of preferential treatment. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Here's, I, I actually don't think that Finley starting there is the problem because I think for what that position is being asked to do, he's actually a really good fit for it because ultimately that position is is a wingback him and Gallagher last night operated as full-on wingbacks not wingers and telling Diego to be a wingback and do all the work back and and as the only way to play on his preferred left side is a waste of Diego and I think my biggest frustration with this lineup is that Austin FC's salary structure dictates a certain way to play and a certain way to line up. And that's very obviously with, you know, striker of the day up top, probably Zardes. Behind him, Driussi in a, in a, in a fairly free role. Ragoni and Diego on the, on the wings. Personally, I'd like to see more of Ragoni on the left and Diego on the right because I'm not a fan of inverted wingers, which is part of why I don't like Finley on the left because he, and as we saw last night, is unable to get a left-footed cross in. He just is. That's not, a, that's not his fault. It's not the position he should be playing. It's a position Wolf's putting him in. Wolf intentionally chooses to not play our best four attackers. And then we are somehow surprised that our only goals come from a wingback, who's our highest scorer. And none of the offensive talent in the front looks like they know what they're doing. Hasn't been effective. And you watch... The, the thing I was really keying on last night when I was watching was I was looking at where Driussi was playing. And a, and a criticism of Burhalter's U.S. national team was putting Pulisic on the wing where he didn't get the ball and he didn't get involved in any way. And Josh has done that exact same thing to Driussi. He has been shipped out on the left wing where he can't combine with anyone. And it takes a supreme effort for him to even try, try to get the ball into a position where he can score. And he's our captain and our MVP and top scorer from last year. So I, I think this begs the question. We had a system. Yes, it started to break down towards the second half of the season as more teams figured it out. So I understand coach's desire here to come up with a different system but has he just like gone galaxy brain at this point and come up with a system that is so complicated that it actually doesn't play to any of the single any of the strengths of this team like does he actually know this team like it's it's a weird situation yeah I i think i think that's a valid question because if you look at the the attacking talent we have and where they're most comfortable Josh doesn't play any of them where they're supposed to be. Like, Zardes is most comfortable running out of defense and getting him behind. We don't play early crosses in. You know, uh, Rigoni's better on the wing and out in space, and instead he's forced to tuck inside. Um, and you just watch it, and you're just like, you, you really wonder whether or not Josh is watching the same game that we are. He's not. I don't, I, I don't know. And I mean, we kind of talked about it. I agree with you, Seth. There's maybe a little bit of 
um, over nostalgia with people saying, well, why can't we just go back to doing what we did last year? There was definitely some problems with it in the second half of the year. But like you watched, uh, I don't know if either you watched the FCTO game on Friday. I went up there and our first goal is literally like by the book, drive in, get it to the byline, cut it back, classic, you know, late runner into the box, smash it in. Drew UC could do this a thousand times a game. And I mean, far granted, you know, they're also playing like a an MLS Next Pro opponent, but like we don't even try to do that, it doesn't look like. And that was a good source of goals for us last year. But I guess the big question is what sort of blackmail blackmail material does John Gallagher have on Josh Wolf? But I mean, John Gallagher is actually putting himself in positions to finish. So at a certain point, like okay, like I, I, John Gallagher is not truly the issue here. The issue is the rest of the system. Sure, but I mean, it, like, the system as it's going right now is yielded. All but two of our goals in league play have been have involved our right back. Yeah, it, it, it's bizarre. And it, even if you look at let's take let's take the second goal from the next pro game on uh, Friday night. That as we go through that, like that was also a really strong opportunity from CJ Fodre, and then a finish uh, by it all. Like when when have we gotten to a point where we've had as on the first team this year had a natural opportunity for rebound shots? Like I feel like last year a lot of our goals were coming off of second, third, fourth chances off of a ball, and this year it's I mean look at the two goals at at Salt Lake, both long balls from outside the box last night. And, I mean yes, the goal was inside the box, but it was a runner in the lane that like we're not getting those second and third opportunities that we had plenty of chances on last year because the system isn't putting enough guys into those positions. I mean, there was one a, chance a on one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there was one chance last that of that, like that last night where Drusy just nailed a shot yep. from like 25 to 30 ish yards and nearly created a chance or created a chance for Finley. But yeah, I mean, again, going back to my point of why is Drusy on the left wing? Like you can create those chances if you have Drusy shooting from distance because he is the one who is most likely to, to shoot and get it on target and either score or get a rebound. Yeah, and I mean, last night, I think there's been some sort of unfair criticism of Zardes up to this point, but last night I thought he was terrible. Couldn't control the ball at all. I mean, people are saying maybe he's trying to make a, a run or something, but like clearly that's not working. Your job is to come in and receive the ball and distribute it a little bit if you're playing the way you know we expect Zardes to play. Um, so it's not like there's other people out there creating chances and we're just poo-pooing it because we want it to be Driussi, right? No, I mean, if... I don't care if Drusi doesn't score another goal this year if the team is doing well. Like, I am not – maybe this comes from someone who doesn't play MLS fantasy and doesn't bet on this league and things <laughs> like that. But, like, at a certain point, I don't care where offensive opportunities are coming from as long as there are good systems that are being created for there to be consistent threat of, like, okay, this team doesn't, isn't going to score three or four goals every night, but has the potential of doing so. And that right now, I don't see where most like, like, okay, we go to LAFC in 13 days. And like, where, where is anything going to come from against a team like that? Good question. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I think that's, I think it's a valid criticism of, of Zardes because ultimately he got put into a lot of positions where he was trying to hold the ball up or essentially play as, play as a post-up player. And he would he would be able to keep the ball or win or 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 draw a foul. He drew a yellow card like that early in the second half. But then you look at like if you pause when the ball goes to him, there's nobody around him. Like we can talk about link up play, but if there aren't other players for him to link up to, then he's just kind of there. And there's kind of no point in having him drop deep if nobody's gonna run and get the ball. Yeah, but that's again going back to the system issue. Did we like galaxy brain this too much? Yes. Okay. We are all on the same page here. It's just like at a certain point, you have to get back to basics. And we understand that, yes, you don't have Julio Cascante right now. You don't have the lineup that you would have wanted to have run out there for these games. Like, I get that here, but we got we to gotta figure out something that actually works. Like simple to back to basics and this team can start getting results. Yeah, I mean, let's jump into the happy part, I guess. Um, nice goal early on. I was feeling good at that point. Um, great pass from Drew UCN. Uh, Gallagher with a great cut off the wing. I'm starting to think we should just move him back to left wing or something, but um, hopefully we don't hit the crisis button that hard. Um, 
and it's initially called, you know, takes a touch, puts it under the keeper, easy finish, uh, you would think. <laughs> I've seen, seen some criticism where people would say maybe some other players wouldn't, but I think that's uh, unfair until you see him do it. Um, it goes, it's ruled offside on field, and it goes to VAR. And um, some of us in the stands who watch a lot of Premier League and are used to watching, you know, 55-year-old white men try to draw lines with MS Paint uh, very confused when Ted Uncle goes to uh, the monitor. So, Seth, can you kind of explain to us how offside works on a VAR call in MLS? Yeah, so how it works there is it's not going to be your friends in Manchester at uh, Pignall um, who are going to draw these lines here. That they are looking for the standard M- M- in MLS is supposed to be clear and obvious. That they are going to do a freeze frame. And luckily with Apple TV, unlike what we saw in CONCACAF Champions League, they actually have pretty good picture quality. So they can go back, replay. They have they have over twice as many camera angles as they had last year. So they can flip back and forth between the different camera angles. And they were able to do a freeze frame as the person who was watching this on my phone last night, to be frankly honest. So you could even see it. I mean, you didn't have the exact view that the ref had, but you had very similar views to what the V uh, – to what Ted Uncle was looking at and the VAR was assisting him from upstairs on doing different freeze frames and then not actually drawing the line, but seeing where it was at. And it was clear and obvious, not on first look, but upon second, third, fourth review angles that Gallagher was actually behind, um, was what you call there were two defenders behind him when before he made his run there and it was a perfectly timed run and counted for the only Austin FC goal of the night. Yeah, and uh, it was also pretty helpful that there was uh, a line there, um, the 18 showing that he was. Yes, uh... that is. I mean, but I mean, actually, where he was was still two or three yards. Like he started that run a couple yards behind the 18. The 18 would not. It was a helpful reference line, but it's still uh, even without that, it would have been fairly clear what was going on. Well, I mean, it's MLS refereeing and it's world famous Ted Uncle. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and give give an assist to the line, but. Sure. Um, you know, I actually thought, uh, let's go ahead and do refereeing right now because I don't think it's going to be an issue. I thought Ted Uncle was fine. He was a little quick on some yellow cards, but, like, generally, that's probably the best Ted Uncle game I've ever seen. Yeah, that was that was not an issue. I mean, he did he did his job. Like, it is – there were some MLS refs um, this week who did not – I don't know if any of you saw the end of the Minnesota-Vancouver game where Vancouver got a 98th-minute equalizer and they got a – Equalizer in the eighth minute of stoppage time when six minutes were assigned and there was fewer than 20 seconds of actual break in the plus six. Um, so there there were definitely um, other matches around the league this week that had far more controversial officiating than what we saw. And hey, the ref should never be at the center of a story. The kids should be there. Agreed. Charles, so anything you- to add? So one, as a Manchester United fan, it's important to remember that injury time is the minimum and the ref can always add more <laughs> whatever they want to. Especially um, if Alex Ferguson motions that he needs more time. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the second part of that is that I, th- I thought Uncle actually, uh, before that match, uh, we tweeted out something about uh, Ted Uncle adding to chaos. And I thought he actually did a pretty good job of managing the match. The only, um, the only call he made that I, <laughs> I was upset about was at the very end one of the Colorado players was intentionally fouling Danny and just kind of like holding him just in a very like, yes, this is a foul. Call this, call this. And uncle just refused to call it. Cause I guess he thought Danny was going to get out of it or something and trying to play advantage. And the play continues and Danny retaliates <laughs> and uh, causes a scene. And then both, both of them get yellow carded. And it's, you know, for somebody who accumulates yellow cards at the rate Danny does, I'm worried that that's going to be a problem. Like yeah, getting that card, it's going to be a problem. That's what I was referencing in kind of the intro about him showing some some fight and some passion. It's uh, it's Danny is the guy we don't want doing that uh, because of his accumulation. But I mean, I was okay with him kind of letting it slide, but he has to make the little, you know, arms forward advantage motion. Um, actually, I thought his worst call tonight was the foul that uh, Rodney quote unquote won. Yeah, uh, uh, no, that was that was a, that was a clear foul. Clear foul. Rodney did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> practice that yeah, run. I, I, I mean rodney made some runs rodney was not a complete waste of space last night but rodney's not finishing anything and as much as i would love for i mean i cannot wait for the day if it ever comes that rodney does finish it and especially scoring a goal at home would probably be the loudest we've ever heard in the stadium but who there's 
I, I will say I will say this: him missing meant that there was not a rampage on the field last night. Because <laughs> when Rodney scores a Q two, especially nonetheless a a a game winning potentially goal, it's going to go nuts. Yeah. Do, do, do you been... think there would? Do, do you, Charles, do you think there would be a full on pitch invasion if that happened? <sighs> I think it would be more than a handful. And, and I say that as somebody who's going to be part of that handful. <laughs> You're just hoping there's other people to join you. You've already started uh, collaborating and colluding. Your oh yeah, no. We uh, uh, if if you follow the false sign on Twitter, you've definitely seen two AM Rodney chat group um, of people who are who are probably in. So I think we're definitely we definitely have a group that is that is willing to do that. Okay, two AM Rodney chat group. I didn't know about this, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and memory hold that for now. Um, other notes really, I guess the, I mean, we'll come to Rodney in a little bit, but, uh, other notes in the first half, I think there's kind of one good Colorado chance from uh, a corner ball kind of pings around a little bit and they get a shot off. Stuber saves it because we all love Stuber, um, ball eventually gets cleared, but I mean, that's the only other real big event I think that happened. Um, but it was mostly Colorado after we scored that goal. It seemed like we kind of went into our shell. Um, I didn't know if that was them dictating play or us saying, oh, we got our goal. They can't score. We might as well just go ahead and pack it up. Um, do yeah, you think that was tactical or? It's kind of interesting. I'm looking at the XG um, chart on football reference. And after the goal, there's only two more instances that have an XG of more than 0.05. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so it goes to show just like how um cagey and controlled the match was for the rest of the half in that like colorado had like a couple of like small breakthroughs but ultimately like that was that was a match between two teams that couldn't really gain an advantage and that seemed to be wolf strategy yeah and wolf strategy is we have brad stuver and you don't and especially with that line i mean if i was looking at i mean obviously the xg models that um, disagree with each other, but to a point, most of them had Colorado at an average of two and Austin at an average of one. And Brad Stuver is your difference maker in that. And I mean, Alex Ring also give him some credit there, but there were plenty of opportunities in the match there that um, against most other keepers um, would have been clearer opportunities that Stuver a stepped up and made save after save last night. Some of them easier than, than others, but he definitely continues to earn his role as a leader of this team. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't think the barrage of saves really started until the second half, but there were definitely a few Alex Ring alone on an island. If he doesn't get to the ball, like we're in trouble um, bailing yeah. us out. Yeah. Uh, a few kind of, you know, we kind of talked about Lima playing out of position, but there were a few where he was less than steady. And I think at some point he decided I'm just going to play safety first and start winging the ball into the crowd, which I thought was uh, a lot better suited for him. But um, moving into the second half, um, early chance for us. We kind of talked about it a little bit, but Drew, see kind of corkscrews one at the keeper who mishandles it pretty badly. I mean, it's a tough shot to handle, but he basically shoots it about five, eight yards in front of him, and uh, Finley comes in. Do we think Finley, like I think Finley's shooting here with his head. Some people thought he was trying to pass it across to Gallagher. Um, Are you guys on the team shot here? I'm on. Yeah, I think that was a shot. I mean, okay. he wants to do something different. This is a guy who is struggling with his confidence. Is trying. I mean, obviously, he had a nice spurt there at the end of the preseason, but preseason was preseason, and that's ancient history at this point. Um, and is looking for different ways. And he's like, maybe I'll do something. Like, I don't think this keeper is that great. Let's go after him, attack him, and it almost worked. Yeah, I'm team shot. I think. I, I think just like also just like the player that Finley is. Um, he's more likely to just like take the strike at goal. Yeah. Um, he did also have a really close in. I can't remember this was the first or second half, kind of like a really low angle header that he put into the side netting. Yeah. Um, but he had a couple opportunities and those are, I, I think I called it a sitter earlier. It's not, it's actually kind of a tough chance with the keeper bearing down on you and you don't have enough time for it to come down to your foot. But I mean, you got to do better there. Yeah. Um, take a touch on it, take it around the keeper, do something. Um, any other thoughts on that? Before no, we... We've covered what we need to cover. Okay. Um, I think we'll move into what to me is the the pivotal moment of the match. I mean, we have... Uh, uh, do you guys want to talk about subs real quick before we get into the, the later stuff? 
Mm. I mean, um, yeah, yes. go ahead. Um, I was glad to see that Jafal came on for Valencia. I thought that he, even in, in limited time, um, while the fouling was a little little much, I thought it showed good aggression, and I thought he did a better job of trying to link the defense and attack in a way that we really could have used the rest of the match. And then I also was excited to see Diego come on and play in a attacking role where he didn't have the defensive responsibilities that he's been um, forced into lately. Yeah, I thought those were were both solid subs. Jafal kind of had like a rough maybe five minutes when he first came on, but he uh, once he got into the game, I thought it was very good, and it was nice to have like an actual eight on the field. Um, a guy who can play some defense, a guy who can transition the ball and move it forward and between the lines. And um, it seemed like we were missing that. We kind of touched on it, but uh, he was also part of the, and it's hard to blame him for the whole like uh, top of our box, maybe a little further back scrambles that seemed to happen for like 20 minutes on end. Uh, At that point, you're just going in and trying to get the ball. But Seth, any thoughts on those first two subs? No, I mean, at a point, you want to get Diego into a match. I mean, we've talked about Jafal, and I've said earlier, Jafal should have been starting over Valencia in this match. And I had no problem with Valencia as an 80th-minute defensive sub up a goal, but I just don't think that he is someone who should be starting for this team unless it's really necessary. Um, yeah, I mean, and I still think, yes, you want to bring on someone like Diego there. Rigoni hadn't been super effective. A couple chances that we've already previously discussed notwithstanding. I don't have an issue with that. The question for some people was Giassi really wasn't fitting in last night. And then obviously Will Bruin gets the call in um, later in the match there. But it's a question of if you're Josh Wolf, do you end up in the, either of those first two sub windows bringing Maxi on for Giassi? And I, I would have if I were in that position, but there might be something else going on in training or other things that are happening that we don't know about because the lack of maxi usage as a sub, especially against the tired defense, um, just doesn't make sense to me. So it makes me think something else must be going on. Yeah, I mean, he had a weird like Instagram post where he said, oh, always remember life is a wheel or something along like those lines. I think it's a song lyric, um, but I don't remember. I didn't do all of my sleuthing on this. I was relying on other people because uh, I'm lazy. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't read too much into that stuff, but I know some people do. So I figured I'd mention it. Uh, do we know of any kind of tension? Like I know we kind of know about Diego clapping off Wolf last week, but is there anything we've heard about with Maxi? I just think the locker room is in a terrible place right now. I mean, you've had a starter go down to injury. You've had your, you've had a switch of captain. You've had, I mean, Drew C not getting in positions to be himself, Diego not being himself, Maxi not out there. Like this locker room doesn't like I I, I do not have the inner cheese bay here. I am not like a oh my god, everything is broken in the world. But clearly something's not right here. And I think a bye week right now is probably good. Like let the guys take a couple days away from the practice field, get guys in their own space there, like hopefully get them focused so that they're ready to come out to beat a hopeful, uh, an LAFC team that's going to be on very short rest um, in a couple weeks. Because they're still in the CONCACAF Champions League? Correct. And they got to go north of the border Wednesday night to go play the Vancouver Whitecaps. Okay. Um, okay. So I remember watching uh, warm-ups because I don't, uh, didn't do a ton of scouting on Colorado. I saw they had a couple players out, which um, I guess we can mention here too. And I saw... Uh, Barrios warming up and I uh, totally forgot he existed and I remember seeing him being like oh shit I hate this guy he's actually a pretty good player you know he gets in people's faces he's kind of kind of one of those guys you would love to have on your team but if he plays for somebody else you absolutely hate him and uh, saw the starting lineup and was glad he wasn't in that and then saw him come on and I think this is kind of the pivotal moment of the game um Charles, any thoughts there on uh, what Colorado's doing, what bringing him in? Did you think he was going to start? Were you worried about him? Um, yeah, I thought he was going to start. I think, uh, you know, Colorado's out. Um, really, their two best goal-scoring options, and Yappy and uh, uh, Diego Rubio, who's just coming back from the back injury he had. Um, they were both on national team duty. Um, so that was kind of part of why Colorado essentially lined up with 
six midfielders instead of a striker. Um, and they brought on Cabral and they brought on Barrios. And Barrios is really, you know, he he is annoying because he is a very specific kind of player. He um, is very aggressive. He's very fast. He's a great counterattacker. And um, looking at, you know, game state, he's the exact kind of player that you would expect Colorado to bring on along with Cabral because they need goals. And he was also the exact kind of player that Austin could not handle and was not set up to handle. Um, so as soon as I saw him come in and the first time he really got the ball in the attacking end and I saw that he ended up one-on-one with ring in my head, I was just like, this is bad. If this is the plan. Taking time bomb. Uh, yeah. That, that's just at. not, that's just not a position that you want to leave Alex ring in. Like, I mean, it's not a, a position you want to leave any center back in, but especially not ring who's used to having more space around him and isn't, and has, and is at a like very um, steep speed disadvantage there. Yeah. Um, Seth, anything to add? No, no. I mean, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll add a little here. So as we as we go through this process, it is like, okay, I feel like in most other teams you see, oh, my gosh, they're going to be depleted from injuries. We should feel confident about this. With Austin FC, if you see another team that is depleted by injuries, you should be terrified for your life because <laughs> we – I mean, whether it's Seattle teenagers or Red Bull starting eight reserve guys last year or um, – uh, I mean, I guess Atlanta, they had mostly bench guys and we took care of them. But for the most part, like, you see a rotated squad and, like, we are very bad at not – unless we know exactly what is coming to be able to plan for it. I mean, heck, the Violette map showed that as well. Like, if, if, if we can scout a team, we're usually okay with things. But we are not good at coming up with a plan when we have – when we're going to see something we haven't seen before because we are not good at adjusting on the fly. So you're guaranteeing a win uh, at LAFC in two weeks' time since we can scout them. Well, I mean, who knows what formation they're going to come. LAFC's running 19, 20 guys on their roster. Where, um, But you never know on these things. We'll see, we'll see how they do and um, take it one match at a time. That's all we can do, right? Right. Um, you guys kind of alluded to this. There are three or four where Barrios is basically single on ring. Um, and you know, Lima's not going to come over to help because he has another guy that he basically has to watch. And this is happening with you know, 20, 15, 10, five minutes left in the game. Um, I think there's a lot of consternation that we didn't just pack it in. And I can kind of understand going out and trying to get a second goal, especially when you're at you know, 65, 70 minutes. Um, by the time their goal comes, and this is about the third time that Barrios gets Barrios has one where Ring makes a great diving tackle um there's one where barrios gets by him and stuver comes out and makes a killer save and then there's the actual goal uh, which comes in the 85th minute and you know barrios skirts him we kind of talked about it that's not a play you know he might do that to a pretty good center back uh so i'm not putting that on ring maybe he should do better maybe he can kind of come out a little bit and just smack him down before the ball gets by him outside the box but it's right on that line um, so I think he's thinking, don't do anything super stupid. Um, and then, uh, Barrio skirts him pretty easily and, uh, nice pass over to Cabral and, uh, Cabral passes into the back of the net and we are at one to one. Uh, what do we think about getting scored on by Kevin Cabral? Oh, so, so to backtrack yeah. for a second, I think one of the, one of the things that we need to remember about rings defending there is that ring was on a yellow card. And I know we talk about like the lineup being ugly, but if Ring gets sent off there, it gets really ugly. Yeah, that was actually I think the softest yellow of the game too, where basically they're running into the corner and he kind of clips the guy, and it was probably on purpose because it's Alex Ring, but um, it wasn't like the guy was going towards goal or Ring pulled him back or anything on the yellow. Um, yeah, I forgot he was on a yellow, so that's a good point. But um, Seth, do you want to give us the history of Kevin Cabral? Kevin Cabral. So Kevin Cabral, um, to most MLS fans, is known as just a huge LA Galaxy bust. I mean, Kevin Cabral is only 23 years old. Like, it is – sometimes we forget, like – I mean, sort of like how we treat Rodney Redis at a point. Like, you have these players that you feel like have been around for such a long time. And both Kevin Cabral and Rodney Redis are 23 years old. Um, but Kevin Cabral was a um, – was born in France, was in the PSG Academy, um, moved around to a couple teams in um, France, and then was given to a um, – 
what came over to um, the LA Galaxy in 2021 and was a very high prospect. This is like MLS is on the rise. This is, I mean, before they signed uh, Ricky Puig, that this was going to be like, this is going to be a big signing for them. He was signed on a, a TAM deal. Like this is, this is great for the league. And he managed, he did score six goals in LA. I think a lot of people forget that he did actually score some goals in LA, but this is supposed to be the next like, not quite Miguel Almiron level, but like this is supposed to be someone who was going to come to the MLS for a couple of years and was going to be flipped back to Europe for an eight-figure sum. And um, he now got traded to Colorado this past offseason for a million in GAM, and this was his first goal as a Rapids player. So not the guy we want to give a goal up to. Nope. This is, yeah, this is... Um, I wouldn't say, like, I mean, there are bigger busts in MLS history. I'm riding Radish, choke, choke. But um, that this guy has been one of the biggest underperformers um, in the league the last few seasons. So, like, giving up a goal to him. I mean, honestly, giving up a goal to anyone besides Barrios on that roster last night was embarrassing. Uh, but this was – it was an excruciatingly painful way to drop two points. Yeah, well, I mean, we that's all I want to say about the goal. But you keep mentioning Rodney – and right after the goal, uh, Sophie Andrefal finds himself in some space in midfield. Rodney makes a very good back shoulder run off the uh, outside back, cuts it inside. Uh, Jafal delivers a great ball. Rodney takes one touch. Rodney takes two touches. Uh, second one's maybe a little off, a little too far in front of him. One on one with the keeper and um, just pops it right into his stomach. Uh, any thoughts or reactions, I guess, for the, the 2 a.m. Rodney chat, folks? Did you think that was the moment? Yes, 100%. Um, <laughs> you know, did Rodney, didn't, Rodney came on in the 86th minute, and he arguably was the only offensive sub made. Um, I'm willing to accept arguments that he's not an offensive sub. Um, but it goes to show that, like, how little how little the starting wingers did. Because you look at somebody like like Vergoni and even Driussi to some extent, like none of them are making that run. And at least Rodney, like, and some of this is also Jafal was looking up and why Jafal should be playing. But Rodney at least like made a run forward and at least like was active. And, you know, he not only created that chance, he drew the foul, like we like we mentioned for the free kick at the end that, that Driussi unfortunately skied. But he at least was, you know, showing energy and moving around and, and causing the defense to at least you know, have to adjust and, and do things, which I don't think that a lot of the other attackers you could say that about. No, and uh, I'll point out too here that uh, Zardes also had a one-on-one earlier in the game and didn't even get a shot off. So um, Rodney was doing better than Zardes. Um, the thing I thought about was funny about this on that second touch, like he miscontrols it, but only a little bit. If he miscontrols it a little bit more, um, like we kind of always tease him about doing, I think it's Bruin is standing right there to tap it into an empty net. Um, cause we had two guys running alone, but it just, uh, it wasn't our night. Seth, any thoughts on the, on the big Rodney moment? Yeah. I mean, I was glad to see him actually with, I mean, Rodney has looked better this year as someone who was in Minnesota last year for the infamous Rodney dancing moment, which of all the moments I have seen of live Austin FC football might be the one that is most permanently, um, scarred into my memory. Uh, because I mean, we were right above that section. I mean, I have never seen quite a display of football as that was, uh, but he's actually looked better this year. I mean, I actually still would actually want to see him go down to Efesito and play a couple matches down there, hopefully get a couple goals, build up some confidence. But like he's at this point looking like a deserving member of the 20, which is more than I can say for Hector Jimenez, a couple of our center backs, others there. Like he's at least adding some marginal value. Yeah, and I mean, you know, granted he's only on for five minutes. We did make the the triple sub bring uh, Bruin, him, and uh, was it Lundqvist was the L- other Lundqvist, one? Yeah, Lundqvist came on for Finley, which is also another proof of like, okay, these are now interchangeable wingbacks, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, um, I would be perfectly happy if we could get enough reinforcements that he never gets to see the field again, but um, problems, uh, problems for another day, bigger fish to fry. Um we do get that late free kick. I don't think there's really, other than that Rodney moment, uh, another chance in the game where we actually threatened. Uh, am I missing anything? Nope. There was, yeah, there just weren't that many chances. And lucky to get out of there with a point. Yeah. 
it's kind of a scrappy game. So, uh, Charles, I'm going to go ahead and we'll talk about the whole game now here. I'm, I put it to you and Brad last week, uh, and you guys said a loss would actually cause you to start freaking out. So this isn't a loss. It's a draw. We get a point, but it's a draw that feels like a loss. Are you now freaking out? Um, I'm, I haven't hit the alarm yet, but like, you know how in, uh, movies, there's always a like clear plastic over the button that they have to like flip up first. Mm-hmm. The the plastic has been flipped up now. Okay. Um, so we're still like another stage before that. I just, I, I think the worry is less in, my worry is actually less the results and more what I'm actually watching. Like we're still only one point beha- behind our pace from, from last season, um, which is something we're just going to keep hammering until it's not true anymore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the goal difference is minus one. And, you know, everybody who's watching the matches sees that, sees a team that doesn't look like they know what they're doing and doesn't look comfortable in, in how they're playing or and looks so disjointed. And I don't know if getting Leo and Julio and Owen back fixes that. I mean, hopefully it does. But we still got a few weeks until Julio's back. And I'm not sure that this is a personnel issue on the field. And I think it's more of a um, an issue of the, of uh, Josh Wolf and the coaching staff. Yeah, well, I'd agree with – go ahead, Seth. We've played an incredibly weak schedule for through these first five matches of yep. the season. And I'm looking at this right now. So we've, we've beaten RSL. RSL's only win of the season was coming back at Vancouver um, on opening night where they did pull off two goals. They went and they got manhandled in the second half. Yes, they also gave St. Louis City a free goal, the fourth team to do so in the league. But even if they didn't give them a free goal last night, St. Louis City scored four goals in the second half on that. So, I mean, outside of City, who is 5-0 with 15 points, is going to be a playoff team. Like, City is way better than we expected. Acknowledge that. But Montreal beat Philly in a chaos match where they scored two goals on Philly with 10 men, and they were playing at the Stade Olympique on that indoor awful turf field right after Philly had just um, won a tough CCL match. That these teams that we've beaten are not impressive. The Dynamo, yes, the Dynamo beat NYCFC last night. That's a good win. Not gonna, not gonna take away anything from the Houston Dynamo, but not a great team. This Colorado team last night, not a great team. This Vancouver game that is coming up on April fifteenth. If Vancouver, I was just looking at Vancouver's schedule. Vancouver has Montreal at home next Saturday. They have LAFC at home Wednesday. Portland at home Saturday at LAFC, and then at us. If we can't beat them after that, then I am really going to start raising some alarm bells there. Because, like, okay, last night there's no Leo, no Owen. We should have a fully healthy side on April 15th, except for obviously Julio won't be back for that. But we should have whatever new Austin FC normal. Vancouver is – I'm putting it down as a must-win game. I think it has to be. I mean, none of us expect to get anything out of LAFC, correct? I mean – I, I go in there with low expectations all the time and would be thrilled with a point, would be over the moon with three, but fully expect that we could lose 5-0 there. Yeah, and uh, just to piggyback on, I agree with everything Charles said. The other thing is it's not like the system's getting better or we're creating things. They're getting worse, and we're getting fewer chances. Like when we were complaining about the system after Montreal and St. Louis City, um you know, we had plenty of chances and, you know, maybe we weren't putting them on. We were complaining about Rigoni missing sitters. Well, he's not even getting those and nobody's creating really anything. Those extra chances are basically like bad turnovers from Colorado we had. Um, so I think it's not just, yeah, the system isn't working. It's frustrating. Everybody on the field kind of looks like they're, they don't want to be there a little bit. It's also like it's worse from when we were complaining about it in the beginning of the year. Yeah. And I think extra so. And I don't know if that's CCL or what that is, but uh, Josh has two weeks, and I think that'll be a very telling performance, uh, at least how people look against LAFC and certainly Vancouver. Well, I mean, I also think the guys are going to be really fired up to play LAFC. I mean, I think that our fan base is not. I can tell you I looked at ticket sales for away games uh, for LAFC right now. I think there's only about 35 tickets that are sold. So I mean, we'll have some fans out there, but it's not a huge thing around the fan base. Those players are going to be fired up to take that pitch, though. 
and I'm excited for them. And like, they had some awful, awful memories of that three nil loss. And I hope there's a real, they come out and play with a real fire. Even if we lose out there, if they play like a team that actually wants to seriously compete with LAFC, then I will be pleased with that. But hopefully they get there. And if they look like they did in the Western conference finals or worse then yeah, that Vancouver match becomes even more must win. But even if we beat LAFC, I would still say that Vancouver match, like you got to take advantage of the, I mean, we only need to get to 45 points probably to make the playoffs, but you got to get points for matches like the, like these opportunities here. Yeah. And I mean, we'll do the uh, caveat. It's a long season where it's still early. We want to peak towards the end. None of that looks likely right now. And that's why Rudy's uh, a bit upset about it. And um, I guess we'll ask this one. Uh, Charles, what would it take for you to put Wolf on the hot seat slash what do you think it would take for him to actually be on the um, management of the club's hot seat? Um, I think it would take something colossally bad for Wolf to actually get fired. And I, yeah. and I don't even think an on-field issue, barring like a fight with the player on the field mm-hmm. or something, gets him fired. It would have to be some kind of like off-field problem. Chris Beard incident. <laughs> yes, it would have to be an incident like that for him to actually get fired. Um, for me to want him to be fired, uh, I feel like a lot of his changes were in response to the Western Conference Final against LAFC. And, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the guys on... I think it was Landon was talking about it on Moon Tower about how, you know, the system was kind of set up to, to not be pressed, and I don't, I don't think that's true, and I don't think it's worked. But if he's made these changes because of the match against LAFC, and LAFC goes out there and shit kicks us again, then it begs the what uh, the the obvious question of, well, if it's not going to fix the thing you wanted to fix, why are we doing these changes at all? And even yeah, yeah. looking at the schedule ahead, like yes, Vancouver is a is a game that based on on rest and based on you know general team strength we should win, and also because that's a team that we're probably going to be fighting for playoff positioning. Um, and even if you look after that, it's you know we have Galaxy away after that. Austin has never even looked competitive in Carson in the two years they played there. Yep. Um, and then we have you know home to Chaos Merchants San Jose. We have away to Portland. Which we've never, where we've never won, and then a home match against Frisco, and that takes us through the middle of middle of May, and you know Seth brings up a great point of, you know, you probably need forty five points to make the playoffs. St. Louis is a third of the way there already after five matches, which is an insane thing to think about. But at some point, like, you can't just. It's the opposite of last season where Austin banked a bunch of points and kind of coasted toward the end. And I think that was part of what affected the results. I'm very worried that Austin is going to be in a frantic rush for points. And we're going to look back at this early season schedule of teams that we should have gotten full points on, barring City, of course, who, you know, are the best team ever because they've never lost. That's just facts. (laughs) Um, And we're really going to brew, like, the the drop points against them and the drop points against Colorado as – as things that are, are going to affect our playoff positioning and whether or not we even make the playoffs. Yeah. Another note on city. Uh, I think we got a second goal last night from former U uh, S national team striker. Tell me if you heard that one before uh, Nicholas Giacchini. Um, <laughs> so they're still going through the rotation, but um, Seth, I, is there anything Wolf can do to get fired short of like a, a Chris Beard situation? No. I mean, Josh Wolf has a contract through 2025 and, Maybe if we finish in last place in the West this year, he gets fired. But this front office is viewing this as a long-term project. And actually, I agree with the front office on this. Like, I don't always agree with the front office. And both of you have heard me voice criticism plenty of times. But that this is not – we do not want want to be um, a Liga MX team where you fire a manager after four bad results in a row. Like, it is – we shouldn't be that. It is, like, be patient – you want to build this out. This is a long-term project. And as long as there are still some signs that things are moving in the right direction, like if everything falls apart, sure, maybe there's a world where you get rid of him. But the calls are going to have to be full-on TIFOs and things like that from fans before there would be anything that even the front office starts seriously thinking about things are going wrong. I mean, we only have one point fewer than we did after five matches last season. Yes. Last season, I think we sort of 
romanticize it because we started the season with a 5-0 win, followed it up by a 5-1 win. But we didn't really start banking a lot of the points until the summer. I mean, it was really that June-July stretch where we went on and just kept winning. I mean, it was a really remarkable stretch of games there that, I mean, going to Charlotte and winning, going to Colorado and winning, going to Atlanta and winning picking up points like that that we just didn't think we were going to go pick up that allowed for the cushion of faltering down a, a bunch of the way down the stretch last year. Yeah, I think my recollection is it sort of all kicked off with the whole Poyo thing, and that was, I want to say, late April. Yeah, I mean, winning in D.C., winning in Houston. But there were also, I mean, we dropped points at home to Orlando. We lost at home to uh, the Red Bulls. Like, it wasn't, we lost at home to the Galaxy in that stretch, too. Like, we got absolutely destroyed as charles mentioned earlier out in carson like there were a bunch of those games in that round that were we 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 tend to view a lot of last season with rose colored glasses and for good reason like it was way above our expectations but now we have the problem of having expectations and that is just leading to people to be far more down and far harsher on the current reality which is not great but is not miserable either What's actually interesting about that stretch of games in 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 May, June, July, is that it happened right after Wolf's extension got announced. Yes, um, the extension got announced between the the Galaxy loss at home and the Real Salt Lake loss away, and then after that, it's went away to LAFC, drawn home to Orlando in our most chaos filled match that didn't involve San Jose, lose away to Carson like we always do, and then you go through a run of you know, winning five out of six. And then, um, and that really takes us, that was really where we banked all those points and really kept up, not just kept up with LAFC, but at one point past them. Um, and that's really where the playoffs were clinched was during those weeks, um, right after the extension. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting to, to look back at that. Like, okay, after the Wolf extension, we started playing better. After the Drew UC, and I, I think we've we've discussed this at ample length on multiple episodes. Like, Drew UC's lack of performance is not as much a Drew UC thing as it is a system thing. But Diego's lack of performance is a little bit a system thing, yes, because he's been asked to go back and wing. But he also just hasn't been as effective as he's needed to be in the offensive roles. And that, like, he's got to turn that around if this team is going to be a threat to win any type of cup, even a Copa Tejas. Yeah, yeah. I think there's like a, a larger system problem and a separate Diego, prob- possibly a Maxi problem too. Um, but the Diego one is both separate and on top of the actual full system or locker room problem that everyone else has. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I get wanting to build for the future, but. MLS is kind of a very short-term league in a lot of ways. And, you know, Mikel Arteta tells me to trust the process. I believe him. Little, little less on Josh Wolf's end, so I don't know if he just needs to get handsomer or better at wearing pants or what. But um, he did look pretty good on Friday. Um, wore the shit out of those blue pants. Good job, Josh. Um, hey, but do you guys want to do uh, headline stock well, rising and all that? Wait, <laughs> one more fashion comment to make. And I don't know if you guys, either of you caught this because you were at the match, that apparently Josh was wearing his sweater uh, backwards for the first 60 minutes of the match yesterday. What? Yeah. This, this, this is, I did not, I mean, I got a good enough look at it on Apple TV that, yes, and obviously people who are more fashion aligned in Slack picked up on it far faster than I did. Admittedly, I was also watching the game on an iPhone. Um, but as we were going through this, that Josh is, at some point in the second half, he switched his sweater to actually no longer be backwards. Yes, that that was a thing I noticed because um, I was trying to keep track of what Wolf's, Wolf's shirt color was. And for some reason, the the collar just looked wrong. And yeah. I couldn't, and it took me a, a second or two of looking at it to be like, I don't think his sweater's on the correct way. And it made me think of, you know, the all the all time most famous incident is the Doug Gottlieb um, having his shorts on backwards to the point where the Kansas supporter, the Kansas student section started chanting shorts on backwards at him. Um, so I'm kind of disappointed that the fans around the coach's box didn't try to let Josh know. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed. I have to give credit to the nice folks in Kansas now. Um, I thought it looked wrong too, but I didn't figure out it was uh, it was on backwards until you guys just told me that. <laughs> uh, all right, Seth, give me a headline. Uh, headline is uh, um, Austin survives with a point. Okay, Charles. Battered Austin gets battered at home, manages a point. 
pancake batter hardest hit. I don't know. I, I was going for something there and I missed with it. Uh, sort of say, like Zardes Brandon always Vasquez, misses in front of Brandon, goal. Uh, uh, Brandon Vasquez, God, I'm getting FC Cincinnati strikers confused today. But uh, Brandon Vasquez, Mr. Pancake Guy in the MLS, did get his first goal of the season last night as well. Um, good. But also, speaking of teams that are now good, they're really good. <laughs> 11 points through five matches. Uh Envious, but where were they last year, Seth? Um. <laughs> uh, you know what? And they won a playoff game despite being utter garbage to start last season. They did. They did. Um, I think I'm going to go with stop digging. Uh, it's the first rule of when you find yourself in a hole. Um, and we seem to keep making it worse. And I'm hoping the two weeks off. Um, I have a theory it's going to get a lot worse with two weeks off, but uh, I am sort of the negative person on this podcast. So. Uh, hope I'm wrong, as always. Um, Charles, you want to hit us with your first stock or with a stock rising? Julio Cascante. Okay. I mean, Good choice. I, I, it's it's tough to pick any stock risings from the match yesterday besides the most obvious one, which is future MLS All Star John Gallagher. Um, <laughs> but we future Ireland captain. Yes, future Ireland captain. Um, but I think we really, you know, for all the the Julio doubters and haters and minimizers out there i think we're seeing what happens without him and without you know some leadership or out or and and also just without natural center halves to be able to play the system of what he really brings to the table both in terms of leadership and and ability and you know we we should be big more thankful of pieces yeah big dude on set pieces i mean i think that was a theme last night you know we uh i don't think austin took a corner straight into the box the entire match um, they kept trying to go short and just to try to go to that like Lima in between space half cross from the corner of the 18 instead of trying to just whip the ball in because Austin doesn't have size. There's there's nobody on that team who's going to win a header in the box. Yeah. No, we played a short corner after uh, Colorado and tied it up where he basically had like three passes on the outside and then smacked it out of bounds nowhere near the goal for a goal kick. And um, if that game hadn't already been very, very uh, zen with how terrible it was, I probably would have been throwing shit. Um, Seth, how about you, stock rising? Stock rising. I'm going to give my stock. I mean, Brad Stuver's stock can't go any higher, so um, he can't. he's ineligible for stock rising, but obviously he had a great game. I'm going to give my stock rising to Owen Wolf. Um, yes, another guy who was not there yesterday, but did score a great back heel flick and got an assist for the USU 20 uh, men's national team and really showed that by without him on the pitch there, the fact that we had to play Ayan uh, Valencia and play in a bizarre double pivot. Like if Owen is in that role as a number eight, I think he creates more opportunities. And yeah, it might've still been a one, one match, but gets to a point where I feel like we really struggle with offensive creativity when he is not out there and Alex ring cannot play in that position. And he's becoming an integral part of the team, which is great. However, Owen Wolf, because of his stock rising, likely is getting a call into the US U20 team for the U20 World Cup in Indonesia in May and June. That is not during an international break window, especially if we make a US Open Cup run, where he could have a bunch of games during that time when he is out in Indonesia. We need to come up with something better than whatever system we were playing last night. No double pivots. And I mean, I think the three of us agree. It's Javala at the eight when he's not there, but that's going to be a lot of matches for him. And he's going to have to rise to the opportunity there. And maybe we'll come up with something else. Maybe someone from Efesito or even someone like a CJ Fodre might be able to pop up a little bit. I mean, he's more of a forward, but has played a midfield role a little bit in college. Like let's try to find some other options there. Cause we're going to need some other options when Owen's out in Indonesia. Yeah, and uh, I did want to touch on this and kind of forgot about it. We did sign another center back, uh, Radovanovic, uh, out of a terrible team in Belgium where he wasn't even playing. Apparently that's a dispute with the manager about the World Cup or something. Uh, watched a couple of highlights. He looks fast and mean, so I normally like those things. But um, Seth, do we have any idea when he might actually be able to play? Um, well, he is um, Serbian, even though he has been playing um, in the EU um, in Belgium, that it will still be a little bit of a challenge probably for him to get his visa paperwork. My guess is that's going to take another few weeks, but we don't have a midweek match again until the middle of May. Um, and obviously Josh is going to want him in, at St. David's and other places um, training with the team for a bit before he actually gets in there. So I don't expect to actually see him on a pitch until late April at earliest, but realistically, we don't 
really need him until early May, pending no more injuries. Yeah. Well, I was thinking we, with Wolf out, we might be able to move Ring back into midfield if he can slot in, but uh, pipe dreams and fantasies, I guess. Yes. Uh, I am going to go with Ring because I think one of us should pick somebody who was actually in the field last night (laughs) as my stock rising. Um, I know he's kind of at fault for the goal, but uh, without him, we lose that game three, four, maybe even five to one. Um, He was everywhere. He was the only person um, who really looked confident, kind of in the center, uh, defensive third, passing the ball out. Um, You know, Danny looked great a little further forward, but he was still a little nervy. Um, thought Zan had a good game, but a lot of that was facilitated by ring. Um, and I think definitely, I know he ended up giving up the late goal and getting a draw, but he showed a lot of leadership. And, um, I think with how much we keep talking about, you know, dressing room problems, those kind of intangibles are, uh, getting more and more invaluable. Uh, any thoughts? Nope. Cool. Okay. Uh, my, my only thought is that we need his passing ability out of midfield to be able to unlock the wingers getting forward. Yeah. Um, maybe we can clone him and shave one of the mustaches off. Look, I put him in two spots. Look, we, we delved into this last year. We, we talked about which Austin FC player would make the best 11. If you cloned 10 more of them, <laughs> I chose Alex ring because I think he's the best combination of soldier and artist And because ultimately I think a team with Alex ring would one be so combative that nobody would ever be able to retain possession on them while also still having enough offensive passing and, and skill ability to put up goals. Okay. Um, Well, maybe we'll look into it. We got two weeks off. Um, You know, there's, there's some stuff going on. Uh, Charles, while we're on you, you want to do a stock falling. You can't pick the whole team. I think it's Rigoni. I mean, I know that stock was already pretty low, but I think we're talking about it going into the the like penny stocks now. Um, because I just saw nothing yesterday that was indicative of a DP or a player who was fighting for his position or fighting to accomplish anything on the pitch, really. Um, he just kind of seemed to get the ball, pass it back. Um, though the one opportunity he really had where he was one-on-one with their left back, he didn't take the opportunity to try to do anything. Um, He just looks like, you know, he looks like a passenger. And at this point, I'm not sure that playing Ethan Finley on the right wing is a downgrade. Yeah. um, And considering he's the second highest paid player on the team and we've been waiting for him to arrive since he, well, arrived. um, People are getting impatient. Uh, Seth, anything for you, uh, either on Ragoni or you want to go ahead and take the next one? I'll take the next one here. I got to go here in a few minutes. But there's um, Valencia is going to be um, my pick there. I've gone off on him a bunch in this podcast. And that guy should not see the field in a double pivot again. And as I've talked about here, like, I am just very concerned. Like, I was excited for his signing from Colombia, but another – another South American bust out of the scouting department here. Like, I don't know with Sean Rubio sort of taking the reins with Wolf and others. Like, I hope we have a new South American scout coming here. I really do. Yeah. Or I mean, just uh, pay an outside firm or use transfer marked or something, uh, whatever we're doing. I, 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 I am not, I, I'm not, don't let, get me started on a transfer marked rant. Uh, no, I, I hate them too. That's why I, that was the point was that they, they're still better than our scout. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, in the uh, interest of time, I'm going to take Zardes, uh, because he was my choice anyways, and I've pretty much already explained all of it, but, uh, he's been getting worse. There was a point in the second half, about 15 minutes in where I don't think him or Rigoni had touched the ball. And then Zardes gets a touch back, uh, back to a player, um, and like just straight up kicks it 10 yards backwards to a, a Colorado player for a rush. And, um, yeah, it was not a good night for the guys that we've all been kind of waiting for. Uh, Rigoni and Zardes, but um, let's move in. Uh, Seth, biggest moment of suffering? Biggest moment of suffering um, was, yeah, I mean, it's weird in a Ted Uncle match to say that Ted Uncle was not a product of the biggest moment of suffering. Um, I would just say was just looking at, just watching that second half and knowing that uh, a goal is coming here. Like there was just even to a point there, I was like, there was, I just had this sinking feeling, 50th, 60th, 70th, 80th minutes. Like, 
there is no way we are going to be able to hang on to this match. And there's there's little worse than leading a match for 80 minutes and knowing that you don't have much of a chance to actually win it. And that there was a lot of that suffering last night. Yeah, it was a a long suffering, but not not necessarily a moment, a big moment of suffering uh, for a lot of these. Charles, it was Rodney's miss. Uh, <laughs> taking because the obvious one it is it the obvious one i don't know um it would have immediately become one of my top three austin fc moments and i'm not sure it's and, I, and i'm not sure it's not number one um because it would have just been such a um perfect encapsulation of why soccer is beautiful and that a player that you know has been so maligned it has it has not you know has not done much for the club yet um despite being our first signing would you know come in as a sub late score the winner get everybody behind him with the crowd behind him the stadium would explode and the vibes would immediately go back to perfect and instead we live in we don't live we don't get to live in that beautiful alternate universe where everything is amazing (laughs) we unfortunately have to live in this one and and knowing that we don't get to live in that beautiful universe where rodney scored last night is my moment of suffering yeah, uh, scored it into the supporter supporter section too. Um, I'm actually going to kind of take a wild card one here. There was a moment before they scored uh, where they chipped a ball, and I think it was off a free kick. It might have been a corner, um, and we're, we kind of half get the ball cleared, and I think it was Lima comes out and swipes a dude from behind, and this guy's like Colorado player in the box, and if he goes down, Ted Uncle's calling this a penalty. Um, and the guy kind of like stands up and keeps going. And I was like, okay, um, that wasn't the smartest thing you could have done, but it was my very much like, okay. Um, you know, even if Stuver pulls out all the heroics he has so far, I think it was right before the Barrios one-on-one, uh, we're not going to get through this unscathed. And, uh, then I got to spend the next, I don't know, five, 10 minutes just waiting for, for the moment, even more than I had, uh, long before that. But, um, yeah, I thought Rodney was the obvious one. But the the alternate universe is a good point, and I think we would all be uh, enjoying this nice sunny Sunday a little bit more had he had he put that one away, or like I said, uh, miscontrols it a little bit more and and Bruin puts it in. But um, I, I mean, know. can Anything you imagine? Else? I mean, can you imagine a less likely goal combination than Roddy Redis to Will Bruin? Uh, Emiliano Rigoni to Jassy Zardes. Oh. Oh. oh, and on that note. Um, <laughs> Uh, anything else we want to cover before we get out of here? Uh, I just posted an article on Slack for people who actually get this far listening into the podcast. That's, uh, I was just talking about the U20 World Cup a few minutes ago. U20 World Cup is now in serious jeopardy of being actually hosted in Indonesia because of what's been going on in Israel and protests there. They've actually canceled the draw on Friday. So maybe okay. we don't lose Owen for a few weeks because we all thought that Israeli judicial reforms would go impact the Austin FC starting lineup. But we live in a really, really weird timeline, people. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll follow that one as closely as, um, you tell me about, cause I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I have you all taken care of on that one, but it is, uh, we, we live in a wild, wild timeline here. Yeah. I usually follow the overseas goings on. That one's a little out of my depth. So, um, <laughs> all right. Um, well, I guess we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks again, Seth and, uh, Charles Peacock of the false nine, who you can follow, at the false nine TX on Twitter. Um, and uh, please rate review and subscribe for us. We're uh, at suffering pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Apple podcast reviews are always helpful, but um, you know, hopefully you guys can get through it and suffer through it. And we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next time uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, thanks for suffering with us. Bye. Bonus here for Austin Jarrett Stroud. It's Diego for goodness. He has written his name into Austin folklore. They just won't go away. Oh, he hits the upright again. It's impossible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory.